can turn in your Bibles to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to continue on. You know, I was wondering, uh, you know, if I should move on to something else, but, uh, you know, Ronnie would come to me and say, oh, you got to a real good part, and then you stopped. And so I'm thinking, okay, maybe I didn't finish it. And I really, I didn't. I'm far from finishing Hebrews chapter 10. I wanted to go all the way through it, so we're going to continue on. But things like that kind of directs me. You know, I, I want to do what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. And sometimes you, you wait on God to, to, to say something to you. Well, He uses other people. So I'll, I'll listen to you guys, and I'll listen to your comments, and, and it might uh, you know, be a word from God. God is working through all of us. We, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We all have gifts. You know, God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't hold anybody above anybody else. It's just that you know, there are a certain order of things. And we try to maintain the order of things the way the Bible teaches us. <clears throat> so we need to know the Bible. And the whole, the whole point of Psalm 40 and talking about King Saul being disobedient and then going to Hebrews chapter 10 talking about better blood, better sacrifices, that is all critical to know today to be obedient is far better than sacrifices we need to be obedient to the word so last week when we were in Hebrews 10 yeah, I was talking about the blood of Jesus being that perfect blood the blood of Jesus being taken to the true holy of holies and I found a little write up out of uh, this devotional book here and I read something out of another one a couple weeks ago. So I'm going to read out of this one. This one's titled, The Blood of Jesus. So listen to this. This is uh, John Phillips. It says, The book of Hebrews tells of blood that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now that's in Hebrews 12, 24. Abel, this, this is so good. Listen closely. Abel's blood cried aloud for punishment. The blood of Jesus cries aloud for pardon. Think about that. Blood is unique in the complex chemistry of life. There are other fluids in the body, saliva, tears, the gastric juices in your stomach, and so on. But these are all products of the body. Blood is a part of the body, just as hands and hair are part of the body. Now, blood contains both red and white cells and is constantly in motion. Each of the billions of red blood cells in the body live for about 120 days, then dies and is replaced. The chemistry of blood is extremely complex. Hemoglobin alone is made up of thousands of atoms of carbon, hydrogen, nit nitrogen, iron, oxygen, and sulfur. Each of these atoms has to be hooked up to its neighbor atoms in exactly the right way. Such a substance couldn't just happen. 
Nowadays, we classify blood by types. Before a blood transfusion can take place, the blood types of donor and recipient must match. Scientists now think that each person's blood type is as separate and distinctive from all others as are one's fingerprints. Such is human blood, the life stream of the body, awesome in its function and its form. Now think of Jesus and his blood. For his blood was even more distinctive than ours. The blood of Jesus was unique. No such blood ever flowed in other human veins. Our blood is tainted by sin, but his never was. His blood was immaculate. The essential fact of the Lord's birth is that he was virgin born. He had a human mother, but no human father. Instead, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and the power of the highest overshadowed her, ensuring that his blood, the blood of Jesus, was kept from contamination. Here is the important point. The blood that flows in the arteries of a babe, developing in its mother's womb, and I talked about this uh, last week or the week before, uh, is not derived from its mother. The baby's blood is its own blood produced when the body of the produced within the body of the developing embryo. It's it's only after the impregnation that the baby actually begins to develop blood. Every drop of the baby's blood is developed by the embryo itself. Since a baby in its mother's womb may have a different type a blood type altogether than its mother, the body sees to it not a not one drop of blood ever passes from mother to the child. Jesus was virgin born. That means he had no drop of Joseph's blood in his veins and no drop of his mother's blood either. The blood that flowed in his veins was unique blood created by the direct action of the overshadowing Holy Spirit. It was sinless blood. It was shed blood. It is saving blood, and now the Holy Spirit tells us that it's speaking blood. Abel's blood spoke, and God could hear it. It demanded vengeance. It cried for retribution. It cried aloud for retribution. It cried aloud from the dust of the earth. Cain, the murderer, became a stranger and a vagabond, on the earth, haunted by the voice of his brother's blood. The precious blood of Christ cries aloud too, for it too was shed by wicked people. It cries not for retribution, but for our redemption. And it cries not from the ground, but from the glory, from the mercy seat above. On the annual day of atonement, the high priest took the blood of the sacrifice into the Holy of Holies, and sprinkled it on the mercy seat. What was done symbolically with the blood of the sacrifice has been done likewise with the blood of Christ. He took it to heaven and placed it on the true mercy seat. We talked about that last week as well out of Hebrews 9, 11 through 28. And here's some words of a song, a hymn that you know well. Oh, precious is the flow that washes white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus.
So that goes along with uh, the message from last week. So we're going to, we left off with entering in with boldness to the true Holy of Holies. And how that in times gone by, you wouldn't be able to do that under the, under the, uh, the Jewish system, the priestly system. You, only the priest could go into the Holy of Holies, and only one special priest could do that. And the, all kinds of qualifications, everything had to be done right. The thought of a regular person ever being able to get to the Holy Holies, no way, except for Jesus. Because Jesus took his blood to the true Holy of Holies because God rent the veil of the temple when the body of Jesus was broken on that cross, it allowed us to get to that most holy place. Each and every one of us can go there because of Jesus and what he did for us on that cross. So that that put us in verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 10. But I want to go back to verse 9 for just a minute. When the writer of Hebrews says, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. Throughout Scripture you see cases of the first being pushed aside so that the second can be brought forth. We see it with Esau and Jacob. The firstborn was pushed aside. The secondborn was brought forth. We see it with the sons of Joseph when he was in Egypt. Manasseh, firstborn. Joseph, even with his... You know, we we try to force God into things. We, we, We think we know better. Joseph is bringing Manasseh over to where the right hand of his father can lay on him. And what what does uh, Jacob do? Crosses his hands over. Ephraim was brought forth. We, We see examples of the first, the old covenant, being pushed aside to make way for the new. The first man, Adam, Ah, but we're looking for the second man, Jesus Christ, who fixes it all, that helps fix, who, who is perfect in fixing what Adam messed up. Jesus has come forth, and that's what this is talking about. That the second... All right, now let's go back to where we left off last week. Having This is verse 19 of Hebrews 10. Having therefore, brethren... Boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say, his flesh. Now we were talking about this in Sunday school. Many other versions of the Bible, and we were talking about this while we were doing bylaws, and there were some certain things that, I didn't quite like, many of us didn't like. We added to, uh, there's different topics in the bylaws, and and we got to salvation. Several of us, you know, just kind of perked up, and we we needed to add some things in there because that's an important issue. And it was in the statement of faith, something that can't be changed in the future if this is all accepted. So we spent some time on that. And 
the reason I love the King James Bible. This is just another reason why I love it. In many of the other versions, when you get to the Greek word sarks, it is translated sinful nature. Makes sense to the human mind, but in the King James, it's translated flesh. Well, here's another Greek word, the same Greek word, sarks. Can you imagine the other versions, the people who put out the other versions, that they get to this word, if they only looked up sarks and they just automatically changed it to sinful nature, everywhere that word, that Greek word pops up in Scripture, how would, have, how would it have read right here? That is to say his, talking about Jesus, his sinful nature? They would have been very ashamed of that mistake, Right? That's why I like the King James. That's another reason why I like it. Why I think it's the one to preach out of. So it correctly says flesh. His flesh. Now we, just, we know that his flesh was different. It was different. What I just read to you out of that little uh, devotional book. The blood that ran through the veins of Jesus was perfect. It was not tainted with anything like any of us. Now... Like we talked about in Sunday school. If you were born into the world, we, we, hear this, we hear this a lot. We're born into the world corrupted by Adam. And how it might not sound fair, but we're lost from the beginning. And we have different denominations who come at it at different angles. There are some denominations that are so adamant about the tainted blood that a little baby coming into this world, if they died as an infant, that they're destined for hell. I don't hold that position. Just being coming into this world with tainted blood, does that require an infant to go to hell forever? That doesn't sound fair, does it? I know that my God is perfectly just. And I know He's going to take care of the little babies. Now the people who are in that particular uh, class, they, that's where they came up with baby uh, baptism, infant baptism. They had to come up with something that would keep the baby out of hell until it got to the age of accountability. Or they would have had to change their view on babies being lost and all that. And people... But every single person has to go through that age of accountability. So the question will come up, well, what about all the babies who passed away? What about all the babies who were aborted? Think about all those situations. You don't hear too many good answers. I think, this is just my opinion... I didn't come up with it all by myself. It's just from bunch, you know, diff- listening to different people. Over the many years that I've studied the Word of God and listened to other preachers and this, that, and the other, I think there's, there's a good reason for the millennium. And I think one of the reasons, just one of the reasons, of the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ, I'm wondering, all those babies who died throughout the centuries, Will they be required to come back and live a life in the millennium to prove their allegiance to God? I don't know. 
But possibly that's, that's one way you can get around that. That one day when we as a church are taken out, the last week of Daniel, of the 490 years, the last week, the last uh, group of years, which is seven years, which is the tribulation period, that's when the Jewish time clock starts back up. So you have 483 years that have been accomplished. Well, there's seven years missing out of the prophecy of Daniel and the 490 weeks, the 70 weeks of Daniel. I believe that the last seven will be fulfilled during the tribulation period. The church will be taken out of the picture and the Hebrew nation will finish out that 490 years. Then Christ will actually make a... a, He will come down and rule and reign on the throne of David for a thousand years. Right? Sound good? People will argue about is the kingdom... For now, or is the kingdom for later? They'll argue about it. It's both. The kingdom of heaven, John the Baptist said, is nigh unto you. But the Hebrew people killed their king. So the very king they were looking for, the Messiah that they were looking for, they expected him to sit on the throne of David. Well, when that didn't happen, they rejected him as the Messiah. Paul was persecuting the church because of all of that. And then he realized that was the Messiah. And he went from persecuting the church to being an apostle that went out to the Gentiles and and proclaimed the name of Jesus. And he realized that the kingdom of heaven has been put on... uh, It's been postponed. Now the mystery is starting to make sense. Now the church age is going to play out. And at the end of the church age, when Christ comes back to get his bride to take the church out, then the kingdom of heaven, so the kingdom of God has, has, has been working all along, but the kingdom of heaven can be established on earth like the prophet said it would. Old Testament, New Testament, type and pictures in the old. Now we're starting to see the mystery that's been hid from the ages. 21. Hebrews 10, 21. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. This, when, you, when you hear sprinkle, what does that make you think of? The blood being sprinkled on the mercy seat. That blood of Jesus being sprinkled on us cures us of that evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. When Jesus was stabbed with that spear, out came water and blood. The water represents the Spirit. It represents mainly the Word of God. If you don't know the Word of God, how do you know? How, do, how, how am I supposed to believe if there's no preacher to preach it to me? How do I know? Each and every one of us are preachers. Each and every one of us 
are preachers of the word. The word of God will cleanse a person. You got, somebody was talking the other day, I believe. Well, I believe. I be, what do you believe? What is it that you believe? I think it was her. I think it was Betty back there. I think she was talking about, I believe. People say, I believe. Like, what do you believe? Have you been washed with the word of God? You got to believe what's in here. And we are responsible for getting this word out to those who need to hear it, each, wherever they may be. What, if, if you're not comfortable going out and, and preaching it to them, you've got to get a hold of them and say, I've got to take you somewhere and bring them here. Kingdom kids, church service on Sunday morning, Sunday school, Bible studies, get them to the word. They must be washed with the word. They must be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. I know it works, but we, he wants relationship with us, and he expects us to go do his work. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. You know, that's part of uh, Jesus and his law, he broke it down into love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. We are supposed to come with a true heart. A true heart, not, not an empty profession of faith. There are so many people who say, I believe. What do you believe? Is it a true heart that's been changed, or is it just an empty profession of faith? And let us consider one another, I already read that, 25, not, oh, here we go, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. The day, what is the day? If you look through the Bible and you look up the day, that's that day when Jesus shows up to take his church. As we see that day approaching, nobody knows when it's going to happen. People guess. People act like they got some special knowledge from God and they'll tell you it's going to be on this particular day. And they've all been wrong. You know what? When I was a kid uh, in the early 70s, all the scientific experts said that we would be in an ice age by the 80s and 90s. An ice age. When we get to the 80s and 90s, they're talking about global warming. And by 2008, we'll all be burned up. Still hasn't happened. <clears throat> We're supposed to be assembling together. There's many more people who should be here with us today. Many more. And we're not the only ones. I've heard it from almost every pastor friend of mine that their numbers are way down since the pandemic. And just about every church, not many of them, I mean, there's a lot of people have passed away from, from uh, the pandemic. But most of the people that I know, most churches I know, no one has passed away. Maybe one or two. 
that have actually passed away from, from the virus. But many people are not coming back to church. We should be reaching out to those people who aren't coming back to church. We, sh- we should take it very serious about not forsaking the assembly, assembling of ourselves together. We should be, as we see the day, we know it's one day closer than it was yesterday. As we see the day approaching, we should be coming together. There's strength in coming together. You've all heard the story of the, of the church where the one person quit coming and the preacher goes to their house. And this is back in the old days when everybody had a fire going in the fireplace. You've, heard, you've all heard the story. And the preacher sat down with the old man who just, for whatever reason, didn't want to come to church anymore. He was expecting a lecture from the preacher. And the preacher just reached over with the poker and pulls a coal out of the rest of the coals in the fireplace and lets it roll out to the side. And that bright red coal starts to diminish. It starts to get less and less light. It goes all the way down to just a black coal. And they're just sitting there. Nobody says a word. And then the preacher goes back over and he pushes that coal back over, gets it up next to all the other hot coals, and that coal starts to glow again slowly but surely starts to glow again. And then the preacher gets up, and the man said, I'll see you at church on Sunday. If we're not together, if we're, we're not supposed to be alone, if we go out on our own or we just decide we're not going to be part of the church anymore and we're just going to be do our own thing, the glowing hot ember that you used to be when you were with the rest of the brothers and sisters... It's going to fade out, I promise you. You must be together. We all are part of the body of Christ. The part you are may not seem significant to you, but it's very significant. It is. For if, this is 26, for if we sin willfully, this is a very serious warning in the Bible. We need to pay very close attention to this. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. In the Old Testament, a willful sin was death. You, you, killed, you, you died for that. That means you sat around and you thought up the sin, and then you went and did it. That was a willful sin. Most people were stoned to death for something like that. The, the animals that were taken to the tabernacle and later the temple, that was for those everyday sins that just happened. That's what the blood atoned for. But the willful sins were, you didn't get that chance. This is a very strong warning in the New Testament that after the blood of Jesus has been shed for you and you know that to be true and you are trying to make your mind up on whether... That's what you want or not. Remember, this is Hebrews. This is the book of Hebrews, which means it's written to the Hebrew people, but it was so important for us to know it that's in our Bibles. So we can't say, oh, it's, that's just for the Hebrew people. We don't really need to read that. The reason it's in your Bible, you can say the same thing about Matthew. That's for the Hebrews. We don't, we don't really need It's not for us. Oh, yes, it is. It's a transitional book that you need to know. 
If you don't get it, that's why you'll be you'll be kingdom of heaven person or a kingdom of God person. If you don't get Matthew, you're going to be wanting to start a new denomination, which has happened how many times? Hundreds and hundreds of times because people just don't get it. They say, well, that's for the Hebrews. It's not for me. The Old Testament, I, that, that's old stuff. We're in the new. We don't need to pay attention to start up another denomination. If you don't understand that... Jesus Christ is the answer. And you have to make a decision on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If you don't get that, then that's, you are willfully sinning. Think about how many churches that are now called liberal churches. They're progressive churches. They have made the blood of Jesus of no effect anymore. There's a lot of those churches, that's what they've done. When you do that, that is a willful sin to turn away from Jesus and what he has done is a very dangerous place to be. And there's all kinds of isms that have been brought up over the many centuries that we've been on earth. And they're all, it could be something as simple as humanism, thinking more of what you do, just thinking about philosophy and those types of things, and you're off. You're just off. If you, you, you want to add, adding works with salvation, if you do that, you've made the blood of Jesus Christ of no effect. You may still talk about him every now and then, but if you've added works into salvation, then you've made the blood of Jesus of no effect anymore. See how serious it is? You'll hang on to Jesus just enough to keep people happy. Oh, yeah, yeah, they'll talk about Jesus. But what have they added to it? A work salvation? That's what this is talking about right here. It's happened in so many churches across America. It's sad. It's very scary. 27, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fury indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. See, it only took two or three people to see you picking up firewood on the Sabbath. And you were doomed, stoned to death. We think that's pretty harsh. But if that's what happened with the law of Moses, look what it says next. How, this is 29, of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Think about that. People being stoned to death because of not obeying Moses' law, how much sore punishment do you think that you'll be getting for trampling the blood of Jesus underfoot? That's the serious stuff here. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. Now here's a verse to remember. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
But call to remembrance. Think about the past. Call to remembrance. Think about it. If you don't remember your past, if you don't remember what Jesus has done for you, if you don't remember the old things, but call to remembrance the former days, in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. They were, they were persecuted horribly back in the day. There are people in the world today that are being persecuted horribly, and we don't know much about it. And we think we got it hard here. You need to go to some other places in the world. You'll come back here and you will kiss the ground. 33, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds and took joyfully the spoil of your goods. So they supported I think it's Paul. I think Paul wrote Hebrews. But the people, think about the people who, Paul was locked up when he did some of his greatest work. Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress when he was locked up for preaching the Word of God. You know, Joseph, when he was thrown in the dungeon, falsely accused. I mean, think about the people throughout history, the people in the Bible, the people that we know after that went into jails and prisons for, for preaching the word, for standing up for Jesus and the great things they did. Would you be that way? You get falsely accused, you get thrown in jail, or are you going to sit around and whine and moan because you were treated wrong? How would we respond for some bad things happening to us because we believe the Bible? The writer of Hebrews, who I think is Paul, he was saying, you know what, I'm so happy. He's raising his hand. I got a joy. I have a joy to share. You didn't forget me when I was locked up. And you helped me out. Because the, uh, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. That's, that's what uh, Jesus told the rich young ruler. Sell everything you have. Get to the poor. You'll, you'll have treasure in heaven. You know, the, everything we have on earth is for such a short time. But we need to be people that are building ourselves up for treasure in heaven. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. That's looking at your future. That's looking at what is going to happen. We're remembering our past. We're living it out right now, whether we're being persecuted or not. And now, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. We're talking about the treasures in heaven, the home that Jesus has gone to build for us, and that we will be with him for eternity. For ye have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Now, there's three times in the uh, Gospels, in the New Testament, 
not the Gospels, in the New Testament, three times in the New Testament that we see the phrase, the just shall live by faith. The other two places, Romans 1, 17 and Galatians 3, 11. In Romans, the emphasis will be on the just. In Galatians, it'll be on living for God. But here in Hebrews, faith. That, that statement, being in those three places, you can break down that statement for Romans, talking about that's, that's, our, that's how we become just, is through the cross of Christ. And for understanding the, the importance of the doctrine of Romans. That's why we're going through the book of Romans in Sunday school right now. We're all the way to chapter 2. <laughs> We've made it all the way to chapter 2. And don't like stopping on chapter 2. That's rough. I really wanted to get into 3. Next week we're going to be getting into 3. It'll make chapter 2 make sense. And then Galatians. It was all about them living Jewish. It, going back to the law. Adding something to the gospel. No. The just shall live the way we live is what everybody else sees, but we should live by faith. And the book of Hebrews, awesome book about faith. That's why it's right here. And, and, but if any man draw back, the, this, again, this is written to the Hebrews. Those were people who were in great danger of going back to the old system. Many of them did. They, they came up against persecution. It was easier to go back to the old system. We today are in danger of going back to some other system. That's easier when we're being persecuted for what we believe. If we're still standing on the Word of God, we're seeing it. We're being talked bad about. We're being canceled. Our, we're, we're being called every kind of bad name for believing what the Word of God says. Hebrews is for us today. It's easier to draw back than to stand on the Word of God. Last verse in, in 10. I'm going I'm to finish. I'm going to reread re -read the 38. Now the just shall live by faith but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. 39, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. The people who stand fast on the word of God, you're not people who draw back. Amen. Now, we're done. For today. Now we may talk about chapter 11 next week. We might just do that. That's going to be good. We're going to get the definition of faith. We're going to see examples of people. This is the hall of faith part of the Bible. Chapter 11. But you can read ahead. I encourage you to get into your Bibles this week. Uh, pray that God would show you what you need to read and you might be more able. 
I know you will. You will be more able to minister to those you, you come in contact with. Hopefully, by the way you live, will speak volumes about who you trust. The faith that... You can have faith in all kinds of stuff, but <laughs> just like, I believe, what do you believe? I have faith, what do you have faith in? Who do you have faith in? Alright, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your wonderful word. And Father, your word has been spoken, it's been sent out, and I know it will not return void. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us will take your word that has cleansed us, that has taught us what we are to believe and what we are to have faith in, who we're supposed to have faith in. And Father, for the shed blood that has been sprinkled on our hearts, that our evil conscience is gone, all because of you, Father. And we are very thankful for that. And Father, as we go from here today, I pray that we would, we would look at the opportunities that you give us to share your love with those who need to know you. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.